Hosea. Hosea, right after Daniel. It's the part where it's not dirty from your fingers. <laughs> right? <laughs> so what the plan is, is we're going to actually hit all 12 minor prophets tonight. <laughs> yeah. Grab a hold of your seat and hold on. Yeah. Now we're going to go through it. We are going to go through it very fast. Um, it's still going to take a while. It's still going to be, I mean, into December is when we're going to probably finish up. But we're going to be doing in the longer chapters, like, or in the longer books like this, we're going to be doing three to, three to four chapters at a time each night. A lot of it is repetitive. I mean, don't lose your willingness to come here because it is repetitive on what it says. But there's so many neat things that come out of these guys and their lives and what God asked them to speak to the people, uh, what he took them through. And, and these, things, these books are powerful. And I think they're overlooked a lot because and they're, they're just not, sometimes they're hard to study because they are so repetitive and then there's a lot of history there that we don't understand. It takes a lot of research to go back in that. So I'm hoping I can do the legwork for you guys. Get the, get the background stories and bring it to you guys, and we can study, and we can get some great application for nowadays. Every one of these books has a very powerful application for us today. Um, and you guys know how it is. When we go through the Word of God, it's up to you. Either you can get something huge out of it and let it touch your heart, or it can be monotonous and repetitive and religious. <laughs> you know, just how it goes. So I really hope for you guys' sake that you really just dive into this, and, and not just what I'm saying, but what God is speaking and, and what he wants to show you through what he used these men's lives, uh, you know, and what he did for Israel and over and over again, just his love he pours out on them. So this first one tonight, Hosea, you guys know Hosea most. Everybody is taught through or, or, or you know, the pastors you've heard of teach through Hosea because it's one of the more popular of the Monty Prophets because it's such a crazy story. And it's like, a, it's, 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 I don't know, it's worse than a soap opera. And what this guy does, it's just, it's awesome in the sense of, God's love story to us. It is one of the best love stories you will ever hear because it completely is putting himself aside for the nation of Israel and completely putting himself aside for us after being cheated on ever, over and over and over again. It's just a, it's a crazy thing um, to see. And so as we go through it, just look at the love that God pours out on his people. And you guys know that he does the exact same thing for us. And I think that's why it touches our hearts so much. That's why we know this book is because so many of us have been in that position of being that spiritual harlot, you know, where we've gone and we've deserted, we've, we've had adulterous affairs and other things and, and served other gods besides him and paid attention to other things in our lives that were not for him. And then you get to see his love just keep coming back. Yeah, there's consequences, but there's blessing when you return and you obey. And so I'll be hitting on that a lot tonight. Um, in verses or in chapters one through three, that's what we're going to end up studying through tonight. And in one through three of Hosea, what it is that those first three chapters are really just having that story told. Uh, he's going to go through his life. It's going to be relating back to Israel, and then the rest of the book is going to be more of a pointed and, and very you know in depth on what's going to happen with Israel, and then what the consequences are going to be, and then what the blessing is going to be in the future for them if they come out of that. So. It's going to be going back and forth like that, and even in tonight it says it. But there are some neat, neat verses in there that just stick out and definitely get your highlighters ready to go because they are going to be verses that will touch your guys' lives here uh, if you let them. So let's go ahead and pray, 
and we'll get into it. So, Lord, I just thank you again for your your loving compassion, your mercy that you pour out on us, the grace that we get to see poured out through your scriptures, Lord, and to know that this isn't just some far-off God that did this for these people and some kind of, you know, Homer's Iliad or some crazy story some man's made up, but this is true. This is living, and we just want to praise you for that, Lord, that this is what you work in our own lives. This is the heart that you pour out for us, and Lord, it really touches our hearts, and you know, even just going through this study, it, it really... You know, it will bring bring you back to where the right, right relationship should be with you. And Lord, I just pray that you would just work something awesome tonight. And speaking through your scriptures as you always do, Lord. Um, Lord, just use me as your vessel and uh, just pour on your spirit on me that, you know, that all of us will be taught and, and, and just touched through your word, Lord. We love you and we thank you so much for this love story that you've given to us to show what you have done for us and what you've done for Israel. And Lord, we just praise your name and thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, first of all, if we're going to be going through the prophets, I kind of wanted to lay out what is a prophet. Most people know what a prophet is, but some people only give one characteristic to a prophet in saying that they're a seer, you know, or a future teller, and that's the end of a prophet. And when we look through the Word of God, that's definitely not just the end of the prophet. Now, God does give them visions into the future and gives them prophecy for the future, but that doesn't end it for them, and that's their, you know, what they do. There's a lot more there. So, Here's some points on what a prophet is. First of all, it can be a man or a woman chosen by God to speak on his behalf, not spoken on the behalf of men. We've seen that through different stories through First and Second Kings of them kind of having hirelings as their prophets. And, you know, the prophets were afraid if they didn't speak the right word to the king, they were dead. And so they're false prophets. But it's a man or a woman that is chosen by God to speak on his behalf. Uh, he gives them the authority, the power. It comes through God. Uh, it's not a title, and it's not an official post to be filled by a qualified man or woman. And the way I'm saying that is I want to make sure I identify that. Yes, of course, God is the one that has qualified them and put them in that spot. But looking at it in the sense of some people are like, this would be the perfect person to be a prophet. You know, and looking at the qualities that they have and trying to put them there in their man-made way or, or however that goes. So that's what I'm talking about there. And then God tells them what to do. They're led by God. I think that's one of the most important things about the prophet. And you'll see right away as you see false prophets, they're led by either themselves or by other men. And, and that's a big distinction you'll see between them. Now, a lot of people are like wondering and maybe even like didn't even know that women can be prophets as well. There's prophetess in the Bible. Yes, there is Jake. <laughs> There's actually a list of them I went through, and there's some of them I didn't even realize. I mean, Deborah, of course, every one of us knows about Deborah. That's one of the most popular ones that we've known uh, over in Judges 4.4. But did you know Miriam, Abraham's, or I'm sorry, uh, Moses's and Aaron's? I was thinking Aaron. There you go. Uh, sister, older sister, that she was named as a prophetess. Uh, that You can find that in Exodus 15.20. Um, this is a great name. We almost named one of our daughters this. Holda. <laughs> It's close. <laughs> Holda, or Olda, I don't whatever. Second Kings twenty two fourteen, another great one. Uh, Noada, beautiful names. Ne I hope nobody actually has these. But Nehemiah six fourteen, Isaiah's wife, he considered her a prophetess. He he says it in Isaiah eight nine or eight three. Sorry, 
And then we even have an example in the New Testament, because some people will just only reside to the Old Testament, say, well, that was the old way, that was under the Old Covenant, but it actually, in the New Covenant, Anna is considered a prophet, Tis, in Luke 2, 36. And then we know, and one of my favorite verses, because I really hope I can say this someday about my daughters, because Philip had four girls as well, awesome guy, but it says in Acts 21, 8 and 9, that they prophesied. Now, it doesn't call them prophetesses, but it says that the, the four of them prophesied. So some people consider them as prophetess. Others know they just prophesied, whatever. It's women prophesying. Now here, these women are used very much in some of the different um, uh, branches or uh, denominations as evidence that women can teach men and override uh, Timothy and where it says that women shouldn't be teaching men. Okay, These are where they come from. This is, uh, I've had definitely some talks about this and what they relate to as a prophetess, as a teacher. And they'll say the exact same thing, and so therefore, women, is it's good. So Joyce Myers and those people should be teaching men. When I go through the scriptures, I see it's very evident. It's a different thing. It's a different gift. Even in the gifts, when they're laid out, they're different gifts that are separate from each other, being a teacher and being a prophetess. So I don't agree with that. And from what I find in the scriptures, and Calvary Chapel usually sets on that side. So that's, yeah, that's how we're going to roll tonight. So Hosea, this name, if you guys didn't know, Hosea is very close to the same name as Jesus and Joshua. We know in in, uh, the Hebrew, Joshua and Jesus are the same name, but they all come from the root, uh, the the word is Hoshea, H-O-S-H-E-A. The only thing is Joshua and Jesus, they add one thing to it. So Hosea, that word is salvation. That's what that word means, that, that name. What a cool name to have be named, right? Um, with Joshua and Jesus, they add one thing to it, and it is Yahweh is salvation. And so there's a little bit difference there with the names and getting to see that just the lives lived. But throughout all of Hosea and the, the, the book, we're going to see God's plan for salvation. And His grace just poured out over and over again on, on a horrible nation. you know. And, and you look at this life that Hosea leads with his wife, and, and uh, we'll get into it. But just awesome how God just steps through and his forgiveness that he has, and the restoration he brings. So, these first three chapters are going to focus on Hosea's life experiences. It's going to be very personal to the life of Hosea. This actually separates Hosea from the other minor prophets. A lot of the other minor prophets, they just get out there, God speaks through them, and and it's usually going and telling uh, Israel what's going to happen to them if they don't turn, stop, repent, and obey. And then, you know, it goes through a bunch of different things. Um, There's a lot of history that's going to be poured out in those books, but this is one of the only ones that has a very personal life story that goes along with it. Him and we know, of course, Jonah. Jonah is another one that has a lot of his life involved in it. So this story, I think it's cool. One of the guys that I was reading about this commentary, he says, you know, the New Testament has the story of the prodigal son. And this is kind of the story of the prodigal wife in coming. And I thought that was a neat little... Uh, scene there. And you guys know when I taught on it, just seeing that, you know, also I looked at it as, is called the love of the father. I think this could be called the love of the husband. And it's such a neat thing how just the husband just loves his wife, no matter what happens. And yeah. So throughout this book, there's awesome words of love. And if you guys want to write some of these references down and you guys can go look them up on your own time, but they're so neat when you read through them and, and as I went through them, it just really, when I, when I put it on my life, it just blessed me because it's like, wow, God, that's you with me. I'm so rotten to you, and this is what you still consider me as. 
So here's some verses for you guys if you want to look them up. Uh, Chapter 2, we're going to go through this one tonight. Chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Chapter 6, 1 through 4. Chapter 11, 1 through 4, 8 and 9. And then the last one is chapter 14, verses 4 through 8. And they're just little blurps of of God just showing his love for his, his nation and for that sinner. And so it's a really neat one. Let's get into it. Let's start reading. So, Hosea chapter 1. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Barry, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Josh, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry. And I know. <laughs> really? And children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Another your version might say great uh, adultery. In verse 3, says, So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. And then the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. Jezreel. For in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. We'll stop there. We'll start going through that first one. What's going to happen is there's three kids that are named, and, and each one of them has, of course, what God does. He gives them these names. that you are just like these poor kids. you know. <laughs> but that's how it worked. I mean, the names were super important, and, and especially for the times or what the, the family was going through at that time, um, something that we really don't do in our culture anymore. Uh, but this first part where he starts talking about it, um, do you have that one slide, Heather? that you can put up there. I want to give you guys this timeline. It was a really cool timeline because it puts all the different prophets on there um, in the different times. It even has some of the major prophets in there. Um, but what we're going to be talking about, and you guys can see Hosea being up here, and he's part of the northern kingdom. There's only three prophets that went to the northern kingdom. Northern kingdom's called Israel or Ephraim sometimes because Ephraim was the biggest tribe there that had the most population. So when we're going through the scriptures, you're going to hear Ephraim is talking about Israel, that tribe. Hosea is going to be at the end. We're going to talk about Amos later on. Um, and then Jonah is kind of in his own deal with Nineveh, with Nahum. But you can see there wasn't very many that went to the northern kingdom, and God actually cut them short because they were actually really bad. They were a lot further away from God and being obedient to him than what Judah was. So mercy was poured out on Judah. You can see a lot longer than what Israel had. And this is when uh, the Syrians came in and took them over. And that's what it's going to talk about in that valley. They come in there and they destroy them and they take them away into exile. Um, and Hosea is right at the end of that. Um, the, the order isn't chronological in, in what it's set up in the scriptures here, but that should help out in getting a look at it. And just leave it up there for a little bit so you guys can kind of check it out and see uh, where everybody lines up. I thought it was a pretty cool one that somebody did. Uh, I wish I could think that good well and put it on a screen, but... We'll save that for Google Images. <laughs> so nice nowadays, isn't it? Um, so you have Hosea right at the end of Israel when they're about to take, be taken away. And he's the one that's going to proclaim to them and tell them, here's what's going to happen. And God says, I want to make an example of your life for Israel. What a hard deal to have to go through. I mean, there's a lot of the prophets you guys hear of them having to walk around naked or having to you know, go and 
Well, one of them was supposed to be cooking his food over his own stuff, and he's like, let me at least do it over an animal's stuff. <laughs> Some pretty, uh, pretty disgusting. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can talk afterwards. But some pretty crazy things that the Lord took these guys through to really impound and put this impression, like, this is serious what's going on. So good that God does that because he does that every time in our own lives. He will take something that's so practical to us and give us a life lesson out of it. And sometimes it hurts. <laughs> sometimes we have to go through these things, and it's just it's such a good place that he brings us in the end. And, and what he calls Hosea to, I think, is one of the hardest calls of any of these prophets having to go take a woman that he knows is going to cheat on him. When it says here in the wording, and it looks like it's worded that she's already in harlotry, but that wasn't the case because it was talking about the kids of harlotry too. This was all future. This was what was going to happen to him. So, and, and the reason for that is just given the example of Israel because Israel's birth and, and God was taking them right away. It wasn't that they were off into harlotry, a whole nation by themselves, and then he came along and took them. You know, it was birthed out of this whole thing. So the example wouldn't work if she was a harlot to begin with and went and took her. And yeah. So these children of harlotry um, that it talks about as well, it's, it's not saying that these kids were also harlots. It's just that the identification that was put with the kids, if they were from a mother that became a harlot or had adultery, this was the label that the kids also took on. And so his own kids were called the kids of harlotry. Just the, this whole impact and what was going on there. Uh, it's a really sad deal and what ended up happening. So he asked him to go take this, this woman, Gomer, and uh, he wants to make an example. It says, for the land has committed great harlotry or adultery, spiritual adultery, uh, by departing from the Lord. And it's like, wow, if you just leave it as that, departing from the Lord, how many times have I done that in my own life? departed from him for something else and refocused my life onto something else and it's such a big blow to him i mean he's we're his church we're his bride we're married to him or we're gonna have be this have this awesome marriage but we're the betrothed to him and so to go and do that and to give ourselves to another it's a sad deal and god really wants to put that across and that's why it's such a practical example and he uses a real man a real historical man to bring uh, across this point to show that sin is horrible and it takes us from him. You know, it causes this adultery to happen with our loving father that's done all these awesome things for us. And it'll get into that in chapter 2. So this first kid named Jezreel. This one was a little bit confusing because it actually goes really far back. And Jehu isn't directly involved in this. And I think most of you guys in the room have heard this story of uh, Ahab and Jezebel, Right? Okay. If you haven't, 1 Kings 21 will give you the background story on them. What ended up happening is Jezebel's like one of the most evil women ever, right? Just rotten. Uh, the husband comes and follows around with her evilness. He's, he's like a little kid. I mean, even in the story that you guys read in 1 Kings 21, it talks about Ahab throwing a fit because he doesn't get a vineyard that he wanted next to his other property. He actually goes into his room and decides that he's not going to eat because he can't get what he wants. <laughs> I mean, totally like, oh. and his wife comes in there, what's, what's wrong, baby cakes? Are you okay? Like, you know, totally like rubbing his back and like, what's wrong? Tell me. <laughs> so this guy won't get, or what is his name? Uh, uh, Naboth won't give me his vineyard. I offered him another vineyard and he won't give me it. And she's like, oh, it's okay, sweetheart. We'll knock him out. <laughs> you know, like a sad deal. And, and it's like this evil, evil woman 
Well, anyways, Jezreel, is, it's, it's to avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu. See, Naboth was from the land of Jezreel. He was Jezreelite. And, and it was this valley that was down there that these people were from. And this guy was an awesome guy. But it, it's upon the house of Jehu and to the end of the kingdom of the house of Israel, the northern kingdom. So it's, it's proclaiming to this whole thing, here's the end to the northern kingdom, like I said. And, and just to go back and have that... Um, you know, the, the blood avenged of this guy and what happened to him. And it's, a, it's actually a sad story. And what ends up happening, he really does go have, he throws a fit. And she sets it up so that what they do is they invite Naboth to a big feast and make him a, a person of, of, of importance at this feast. And then they take in two people that are just liars, deceivers. And they tell them, what you're going to do is you're going to say that he just blasphemed God in front of everybody. And that's what they did at this big feast. And he says, oh, this guy's blaspheming God, and he's also the king, and so let's take him out and stone him. And they take this guy out and kill him. Just because he wouldn't give up his inheritance that he had gotten from his father, this land that was very important that he wanted to pass on, he wouldn't give it up. And so they kill him. And then what happens is Elijah comes to him and gives him this thing. And, and Ahab, again, man, if you guys go back and read the story, seriously, if you look at him in the perspective of being like this little brat, that's exactly what he was like. Because then he comes up, Elijah starts going and telling him what's going to happen to him, that he's going to also die, and that the dogs that licked up Naboth's blood will be licking up his blood as well in the same place. And he's like, oh, you're, you want to fight? Like, you're an enemy with me? What's going on? Like, why are you going to come into my face? And, you know, he's like, that's not going to happen anyways. Gets really upset. And Jezebel wants to put a hit on Elijah after that. And he also tells Jezebel that she's going to be killed and eaten by dogs. And that whole story, and, and what happens is how Jehu comes into this whole story, that's where it got a little bit confusing, because it's like, what, what is it talking about Jehu? You know, right there in verse 4, I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel in the house of Jehu. Well, what ends up happening is that, okay, Ahab gets killed in battle, comes back, dies in his chariot. Um, when they wash the chariot out, it goes into this little pond that was right there by where uh, Naboth was, and the dogs lick up his blood just like they said it would happen. Then what happens is Jehu comes to for Jezebel, and she's up you know, a couple stories up in the window, and, and she's all prettied up for him and all this stuff, and he tells the eunuchs up there, hey, throw her out the window. And so they throw her out the window. <laughs> Crazy stuff in the Bible, isn't there? So they're like, yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> Sick of this lady. So throw her out of the window, and then he says, hey, you need to go bury her, and they say all we could find was her skull and her hands because the dogs had eaten her. Just like the scripture said, but it was Jehu that was the one that came and said to do this. Now, Jehu actually gets praised through it. In, in, first, in 2 Kings 9, 14, it actually talks about you know, that he, he was a vessel of God. He was avenging what was supposed to be done, doing. But the thing is, even though he was an instrument of God, the reason for him doing it, and it talks about this in the scriptures, is just through his pride and, and uh, ambition. It wasn't because he was trying to obey these certain ways. The whole backstory behind Jehu was very selfish, and Jehu ended up leading Israel even further away from God. And he has a very sad story there. You guys can read about it in Second Kings 10, uh, verses 30 and 31, really give some detail in, in Jehu's life. And so that's why, okay, the whole blood story is coming back to him. That's why the bloodshed's going to be, you know, taken from Jehu. And it's just a thing in the Scriptures. You guys know that there's so many different people that have been used as instruments of God, Right? They've done something that God needed to have happen, some discipline that needed to take place, but yet they're still judged. I mean, we have Babylon, Syria, Egypt, you know, just talking about nations, and then there's individuals that all end up having to go through 
the consequences of their sin, even though God used them as instruments to discipline another one, even maybe somebody that uh, is, is truly his. And we see that over and over in the scriptures. So that's what's going on. This whole first name that he gives this first son of Hosea's is to talk about and to prophesy that this will, that, that what was talked about before in Kings is that this is going to come back on Jehu. There will be that vengeance taken and also to be the end of the, the kingdom. The, the kingdom of Israel will end. And so that's what this whole name includes in there. The other two names are not that extensive and not that big of a backstory. So they're easy to go through. But that's the first boy he has. So then the second one in verse 6. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah. For I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I have, will have mercy on the house of Judah. Will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword or battle, but by horse, horses or horsemen. And so, like what I said, he has mercy, and you guys can even see by the timeline, it shows the mercy poured out there. It's a little bit longer until they had to go into uh, exile uh, by the Babylonians. And so the focus being on what's going to happen with Israel is they're, they're going to be taken out. And, and that word, uh, lo-rohama, what it's saying there is that it is not compassionate or pitied. Not compassionate or pitied anymore. So God's withdrawing, withdrawing his compassion for them and pitying them. He's taken all that away. Bad place to be with God. You want that mercy. <laughs> you know that... But you go so far and you don't want it and you keep not accepting what he has for you. I mean, what kind of God would it be if he just like, oh, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. Don't worry. His word wouldn't be true because there's so many declarations throughout the scriptures that says, if you're not going to obey, here's the consequences of it. And I think so many times in our own lives, we get away with some sin for so long that it's kind of like, oh, we're in the age of grace. Like, it's never going to catch up to me, you know, or, or yeah, that's been forgotten about, you know, and the thing is, we have to realize that there still has consequences that come. I mean, it talks about that in the scriptures. There still is this sadness that comes between us and God as far as our fellowship is broken with him. And you guys know when you're in that, that prime fellowship with God where it's like every day you can't wake up, you can't wait to wake up and speak with him, what great days those are, aren't they? You're just so like, yes, this is what life is all about. Like, I get to be with my Savior. We're walking today. We're doing the things that he wants to do. It's all about him. And then we have those more often days, at least in my life, where it's like, I woke up, it's all about me, everybody get out of my way, I got stuff I got to get done. <laughs> you know, and whatever has to happen, and it's, a, it's just being with him, it's such a good thing, and there are consequences with just, no, you know. But he's so merciful, isn't he? He just keeps pouring out that mercy. And so they'd come to a point of ripe judgment. Ripe for judgment. They just, they'd gone to that, that line and crossed way over it. Israel on the outside was prospering, and they're winning tons of battles. Like, these guys look so good on the outside. Right now, Israel is on top of the world. They're taking back land that they lost at the end of Solomon's reign when the, the two, you can see right there, Solomon was the last king there, and then they had the kingdom split in 900, whatever it is, B.C., well, during that time, they lost some land and to their enemies, and so now they're gaining this land back. They're getting, you know, they're sacking them. They're getting all this gold. I mean, they're really doing well. There's lots of things being built. There's a lot of these, these huge monuments that are being built. However, on the inside, they're completely far away from God. And there's some cool scriptures in here that talk about that, that, 
you know, how, how they've walked away. Let me see if I can find one real quick and highlight it, I think. If you guys want to look at chapter 13 real quick. Chapter 13, verse 6. It says, when they had pasture, they were filled. They were filled and their heart was exalted. Therefore, they forgot me. America. <laughs> it's a sad deal because, I mean, we can look at our nation and we see that. You know, as we prosper, I mean, our nation's doing awesome. If you guys look at it, if you don't know, go watch some YouTube videos about some sad places in, in the world. There are some horrible situations out there. Horrible, desperate. I mean, just the people and how they have to live every day. Very, very sad. I mean, we're up there. And you guys have heard Sean talk about it just in, you know, how rich we are as a country. We're, we're on top of the world, honestly, as far as what it looks like on the outside. I mean, any of you guys have one more than one bathroom in your house? That's unheard of in a lot of countries, you know? And, and it's inside your house? <laughs> All right. <laughs> You're living it up, you know? Like, there are so many things that we, we just don't know until we get to go and see somewhere else. Uh, not having to pray every single day just to have our bread for lunch. You know, I know there's certain circumstances. There are people that do have to do that in our country. For the most part, though, look at our country. I mean, we can go get that stuff. It, it, we're living good. We are. But then you get down to the heart issue, and you look at our country, and they are so much to where they're forgetting God. I mean, that verse is so perfect. Forgetting God and what he's set up. And it's a sad place to be. And I, I would agree. I, you know, I just look at it, and it's like, man, so sad that they're going away. They were, we're winning battles. We're... <laughs> We're doing all these things, but we completely forgot him, and, and there is going to be something that's going to happen later. I mean, God's going to come back because he loves us. There's a lot of people here that are for him, and a lot of people he sent out of this country to go and tell other countries about him. He's used this country powerfully, and it's just unfortunate that our country is slowly stepping away, and it seems like it's progressing faster and faster as it steps away from him. When we used to be, I mean, look at how many missionaries were sent out from here. Still to this day, it's so cool to see America being used in that way to go and proclaim the gospel all over the world and the finances he's put there to get us out there to be able to do that. He's used us as that powerful tool, but we're slowly walking away. So I think it's a great warning when we go through these scriptures to look at not only our nation, because we need to be praying for it, but also our individual lives. You know, Are we one of these people that's starting to forget God? And really forget, not just forget God as far as... Um, you know, I, I go to church, and, and, and I spend time with other believers, but really forgetting God, spending that daily time with Him, spending that intimate time with Him. Am I forgetting Him, you know? Going on to the next name, because, yeah, the time is counting down. So the next name in, in verse 8, Now when she had weaned uh, Lo-Rohamah, uh, she conceived and bore a son, and then God said, Call his name Lo-Ami. Lo-Ami. For you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Wow. He just that was that was a pretty big deal. What he just said there. Yeah, exactly. A slap upside the head. <laughs> yeah. And and this name is so powerful because it's such a sad thing that they've gone to this place now where he is not calling them his people, and he's saying you're not. I'm not your God. Now here's something that comes in very crazy because it's like, well, wait, wait, wait. Because what about that covenant that he made with Abraham? And now is, he, is God going back on that? Is he saying that this is cut off completely now? 
And I don't want to spoil, we're going to get into some verses because the next little title, if you read there, is the Restoration of Israel. It talks about his mercy and what he does for his people, but in giving that name and saying, you guys aren't that, there anymore. Here's the reason for it. You know, it's in, in Paul, and I think the answer to this question is, is the covenant from, with Abraham been cut off? I think Paul answered that in Romans 11, 1, where he says, absolutely or certainly not. Because he says, you know, are they any, do we have anything to do with them anymore? And he's like, of course. Of course, they still have a place. And you guys can go through Romans 11. It talks about the future, what God has for Israel, and they still have the place. Um, so they haven't been completely cut off. So what is this talking about then? Well, you look at it, and, and it's this unconditional covenant that God's given. It's not by the works based on if they're good or bad. That isn't what the covenant was based on. Otherwise, back when it was first given, it would have been done. You know, Like even Moses had to plead with God to like still keep these people because he was like, oh, I'm going to destroy them all. We'll just start out new with you, okay? We're done. And, and Moses went before him with his heart you know, that God had given him to plead for the people. But with this obedience, uh, you know, when they cut off this and they didn't obey anymore, then it was termed as harlotry. And they started following their own wills. And what they did for themselves is they labeled themselves as not my people. And it's a sad place that their obedience had taken them to this place where now they had this title of God's not our God. Because you look at their lives lived out and you couldn't say that. You, it would be a false thing to say that God is, Jehovah God is their God. You know, it would have been a lie. Now, on God's side of the covenant, of course, that was withholding because it was on his promises. It was based on him. But with the title that these people wanted to take on was not his people. He's not their God. And it was through their actions. Now, this is the crazy thing is because if you go back and look at Israel during this time, they really thought that they were doing some religious activities that were still claiming him as God. But yet God on his side and what he was receiving from the people, he's saying no. No, here's your guys' title. You want to see what your life looks like? Here, not my people, I'm not your God. And it's so key to, to look at that and say, wow, can I be deceiving myself? Are there people that deceive themselves in that way of saying, God, you're my God, oh yeah, we, we totally, you know, we have it going on, I do this stuff for you. When in the fact of it is, is our heart is so dirty and so far from him because when we're not prompted to do that stuff, we're immediately right to sin. Boom, right to that disobedience. Like, that's where we love to be, even though we try to go over there. And so it's a, such a key thing to make sure that we're not deceiving ourselves like what they were deceiving. They were playing the religious game so that they could feel good, even though this sin was just weighing heavy on them. It's disobedience that they kept going into. And so what happens is that there's coming a day, and this is the awesome thing, and I think it's so cool what's going to happen and how God's mercy and His grace is that in the coming day, they will return to God through Christ, and they will be what they've always been through God's grace. You know, they're His children. Just like what it says about us being his kids. Um, I hope I put that verse in there about... I don't think I did. We can look over there in Romans 11 right now. And it just speaks of, of what God's going to do with them and, and bringing them back into that relationship there. Um, And it's talking about the olive tree, the wild olive tree and the, and the domestic one and, and how the branches are being grafted in over there in, in chapter 11, uh, verse 20. 23 is the verse I wanted to look at. And it says, And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. 
and just showing that there's that hope there. It's not complete cut off. I mean, because of their unbelief, their disobedience, you know, everything that they've put themselves to, bam, it's cut off. But God's saying right here in those scriptures, and he's reassuring through Paul that, you know what? Get rid of that unbelief. They're grafted right back in. And there's also a warning for us Gentiles when you guys go through that, that chapter. That's such a cool one. I love that chapter. We could spend some time on that, but let's get back over to Hosea. Now, in this last part that we're going to go through on this chapter 1, it says uh, the, the restoration of Israel, and it's really neat how he brings them back in. So verse 10, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, You are sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. And say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. That's verse 1 of chapter 2. So when he goes on this, and he, he just reassures them, there's some neat uh, words of comfort that God gives to them. Uh, there's five of them that I saw in there in these last few verses. So what he promises them, this is what's going to happen with the restoration. They're going to come back to him, they obey, come back into his will and what he wants to do. And he gives them that promise again that he gave Abraham and Moses and all those guys that, you know, the children are going to be as, as many as the sand of the sea. And he comes back in here and he gives these other things. So there's going to be national increase in, in, in verse 10, the first part of verse 10. There's going to be national conversion. Cool. That's awesome. In, in the second part of B, I mean in the second part of 10, there's going to be national re reunion in 11, the first part of 11. There's going to be national leadership in the second part of 11. And there's going to be national restoration in verse 1. And so neat to see that because what ends up happening is he takes those kids' names and he switches them around. You know, he talks about it right there. They, there's going to be, great will be the day of Jezreel, which that was going to be a judgment day. And now it's going to be a great day because everything's made new. Everything's been cleared. And then you get into chapter 2, and what's going to happen is he's going to start laying out Israel's judgment coming upon them because of their sin. But again, and we'll see this over and over again in the Minor Prophets, there's going to be the sin that they've committed, the consequences for it, and the restoration that will come to pass if they just turn from their sin. God gives them so many chances, doesn't he? You guys see how many prophets are up there? Every single one of these prophets, not just once in, one, in their books. Well, unless it's one chapter, then yeah, pray once, but... The ones that have more chapters, over and over again, God does this with them. He shows them their sin. He says, here's what's going to happen. He doesn't even do it yet. He says, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't turn. And then he gives them, here's the blessing I want to pour out on you. Here's what I want to give you because of the mercy I just want to pour out on you. Not because you did anything. This is who I am, and this is what I want to do for you because of my kids. And which one of us, you know, that would not want to do that for our children? It's so hard. My kids have been, you know, like my wife said, they've been hard to deal with. So I keep having to take these things from them. I got Allie this new coat, and you probably see her wearing it around. She looks a little scary. She's got a Baymax, if you guys have seen that. Here, Big Hero 5, it's a Baymax shirt. Just got her. Fresh out of the package. She goes and does something. I have to ground her from it. I hate doing that stuff. You want to see the joy in your kid of giving them these things, right? And they're so excited about it because it's this character that they love. And boom, they get to wear it one night, and it's gone the next. <laughs> You're like, what are you doing? I just got all their tires on their bikes fixed with the slime, right? Got them all fixed up. Two of my kids go do something wrong. I got to take their bikes away from them. And it's like, you want to, you know, you just want to pour out that stuff for your kids. You want to see that joy. 
Like it's been so, I've been a horrible father with those bikes. It's been how many years? They've been sitting in the shed. I don't know. Ridiculous amount. Hey, yeah, horrible father of the year award right here. That's why I was so excited to give them their bikes because I'm like, I finally did it for you. After how many years? They have to go over to the Hagies to ride bikes. It's sad. <laughs> so I give them the bikes and then they get them taken away. And I'm like, I, like, I want to bless you kids, but you're rotten. <laughs> <laughs> you keep doing these things, and I want to do these awesome things for you. Because I, and it's not because I want to spoil them. I love seeing the joy on their face. I love them being excited about, can I go ride my bike? And, you know, and, and these things that you just love to see your kids happy. That's all God wanted to see. He just wanted to see his kids be happy. That's what he wants us. He wants to see us happy. He has so many blessings he wants to pour out for us. Because, and it's not because he wants to be, you know, like, oh, I'd love just to give stuff away. It's because he loves to see the joy in our lives. He gets that glory, you know, that awesome. We get to see his character. We get this relationship that's so close to him. And it's going to be an awesome day when we get to be face-to-face with him because we actually know who he is, right? Because we've spent so much time with him. And we get to see how caring he is for us, how merciful he is, how faithful he is for us. And it's so neat to see this relationship, but yet we go and we have this cycle, just like Israel had, (laughs) you know, going through these things. And it's a sad deal. And that's where they're at and getting to see, but they keep falling back into this. And so in chapter two, start, let's start reading. We'll go uh, two through 13. So it says, bring charges against your mother, bring charges for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy on her children, for they are the children of harlotry. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully, for she said, I, and watch how many mys are here, okay? For she said, I will go after my lovers, who give me my bread, and my water, my wool, my linen, my oil, and my drink. And we're going to contrast that with verse 9, so pay attention when we get up to 9. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in, so that she cannot find her paths. She will chase after, or she will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better for me than now. Duh. For she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine, remember all those mice, and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal, or Baal, however you want to pronounce it. Verse 9, Therefore I will return and take away my grain in its time, and my new wine in its season, and will take back my wool and my linen, give to cover, given to cover her nakedness, now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, all her appointed feasts, and I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, of which she has said, These are my wages that my lovers have given me. So I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. I will punish her for the days of the balls to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, says the Lord. Sad story. 
I mean, that's just, you know, I don't know what your title says there. This one says the unfaithful people. They had so much going for them. They had so much that God wanted to give them, and he did give them, and yet they turn from him and do this. They completely go and chase after these other other gods, these other desires of their own flesh. I mean, that back then, if you guys look at it and you go over what these, these idols were all about and what they used to worship, it's completely what their flesh wanted. It's not at all far. It's not like we don't have, okay, we don't have the idols that stand up or we go put in the corner, unless you want to consider an entertainment center one of those. But what we have is we have still this desire of the flesh that goes after. We have our own will that's still out there. We have this humanistic idea and and I think it's just more pointed nowadays. We can zero it down rather than blame it on an idol. It just comes right back to self and, and what we're after. So God lays out their judgment to them. Um, and you guys know that God never glosses over sin, does he? Sin is sin, and it's going to be made known because God's got to deal with it. That's what has to happen. Otherwise, if it's not dealt with, why did his son die? If it's just a meh, you know, like that T-shirt, meh. <laughs> Like, come on, it's a serious deal, and God's not going to gloss over it. It's going to be made known so that change can come. Such a sad thing when a person is entrapped in a sin that's a secret sin that's done in darkness, and they go for year after year after year with this sin. Because the thing is, is how can they draw close to God living that lie? It's a sad place. It's so sad that when you, we get stuck in those positions of pride, I'd say what it is. You know, of, of just not being willing to just, okay, God, take it all. Give it up every single day. Take it from me. And I'm sure there's been plead like that, but then the next day comes and it's like, boom, right back in it. It's about self. Sad to deal with people when they're attributed, uh, or let me see here. It's sad to deal when people are attributed the benefits of God to the worship of, or attribute. That's what I'm trying to say. I can't even read my own writing. When the people take their attributes, okay, let me say this different instead of reading this. When they take the attributes, the things that they have in their lives, and they apply that to something else in their life. That's why I have this, rather than back to God. They apply it to their worship of self. Like what it says there in verses 1 through 5. You know, and just talking about all these things that he's going to take from her because she's attributed to herself. It's been all about herself. She's left her husband. She's now put this mark on her kids, their son, children of harlotry, and, and, and it's just a sad place that she's ended up taking her whole family. I mean, everybody's involved in this whole situation. And so you look at what I said in verse 5, where she goes off and she starts talking about my. Anybody that starts walking away from the Lord and starts living for self, watch how they talk. It'll be all about them. It'll be my, it'll be all this ownership that they've done. And, and it's just like, boom, they got like a billboard that goes around them with all these arrows pointed at themselves, you know, all lighted up, going around. It's just all about self. And you really get to see a person that's walking with Jesus Christ because it's awesome. Because usually first what they'll do is they want to know about your walk with Jesus. They want to know how you've been blessed by God. And they usually that's where the conversation goes. And it's so cool to be able to talk with somebody that's just right there with him. And not saying like, hey guys, next time watch out when you come up and say, <laughs> you know, don't... <laughs> Because, yeah, that's not the way it is. But you know what I'm talking about. Just when it's all about self, everything's about my and all the things I've attained, and I have this because I am so special in this area. You know, and you, it, really be careful in where it goes. So, you know, this curse comes down on them. Uh, it's due to their disobedience. So what they get in turn of their disobedience, and this is one thing I always talk to my kids. I'm like, was it worth it? Was cheating on a test worth it? 
Because here's all the things that get taken away from you. Here's the discipline that happens to you. Here's what you're going to suffer. And you cheated so you could save two more minutes. So you could go out and ride your bike that now is taken away from you. It's like, is it worth it? Well, no, of course it's not. So what happens to them? They, she goes into nakedness. There's waste. There's hunger. There's thirst. There's shame. There's sadness. There's loneliness. And there's desolation. Nothing positive there. And it's unfortunate that there is such a lie that's put out there that, yes, go after self. Go for sin. Do all these things that are contrary to this old desert God. You know, go for that stuff because this is what today is about. This is the new day. You guys want to evolve into the new people we have evolved into, this whole evolved thing. This is what it looks like. This is so great. And what comes from it? Nakedness, waste, hunger, thirst, shame, sadness, loneliness, and desolation. And then they're sitting there like, what happened? <laughs> what happened? And you're like, well, it was sin. And I'm not going to gloss over it and give you some kind of disease and say this is a disease and unfortunately you're born this way. No, it's sin. You want to solve it? It's sin. You need to go before God because he's the only one that can deal with that sin. The only one. In verses 14 through 23, it says, Therefore, behold, I will allure, allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. And this is where God just pours out his mercy. Listen to these verses. So it's, it's awesome. This is totally God's love story. And speak comfort to her. I will give her vineyards from there and the valley of Acre as a door of hope. So cool. And she shall, shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. I think it's so neat when it says in the days of her youth, because do you really think that there's a harlot out there or some prostitute that's ever, like when they were a kid, were like, that's what I'm going to do. I mean, it's a sad thing, you know. There's, I doubt there's anybody that would be like, yes, that's the life I want to live. It's the same thing when we come to Jesus. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's the life I want to live, completely just going against him and, and living my own life. It's just he returns to that, though, that love story, returning back to how they were. In this youth, the days they were singing, verse 16, And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. And there's some really cool key words there. For I will take from her mouth the names of the balls, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and with the creepy things of the ground. Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. I will betroth you to me forever. And we'll go over that word betroth. such a cool word. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. It shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, and with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. And then I will show, uh, sow her myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. See the reversal of the names there? I will have, you are my people, and they shall say, you are my God. Awesome restoration. So looking back real quick on those words there, then verse 14, I love how God says he's going to take him out to the wilderness. If you look at every major, uh, just look at people that have been used so mightily by God. There's usually a time he's taken them out into the wilderness. Paul had his time, 14 years. Remember that? Just was out there. Jesus, come on. <laughs> Jesus went out into the wilderness. 
You know, his was shorter because it's Jesus, but he still had 40 days. 40 days is a long time to go out there and have to go through that. Yeah, you guys might be in the wilderness for a few years. I'll just let you know. Good thing, though, because it's an endearing thing if you look at it that way. What he's talking about, this is complete restoration, but he's got to take you completely away from everything. Everything's got to be stripped, you know? And then take you out to the wilderness where there isn't anything to get you hooked back on it. So loving that he would take that away. It's hard because everything's stripped away and it's taken. Boom, but you get to be with him. You get to have that relationship restored with him. And he says down there in verse 15, and I love how he uses that, just that the short words, but it's so powerful. And he says, the door of hope. I will give her her vineyards from there in the Valley of Acor as a door of hope. And that door, you guys know that, I mean, how it uses a door of hope. That means that door can be closed, right? Or opened. And it's so cool because he's the one that gives us that key to be able to open that up. You know, just uh, go in there in that grace and he just gives it to us. And now we get to have this hope and that faith that we have. You know, and you guys can go back to the New Testament and read all about that. But he gives that hope there. Whereas the hopelessness had been taken away. Remember the loneliness, desolation, shame, sadness, it all came with the disobedience. Well, this is what he's restoring to. And then these awesome words down here in verse 16, and he says, It shall be in the day, says the Lord, that you shall call me my husband. And he says, and no longer call me by my master. I don't know if you guys have the side notes there, but it actually shows you what the words are in Hebrew. The Hebrew for my husband is ishi, I-S-H-I. And then I thought this was interesting because the word that it talks about my master is ba'ali, B-A-A-L-I, just like the God. They put themselves in such a place of being slaves to this master, whereas they thought there was freedom in it, right? I mean, look at how this just goes right along with what Paul said about being a slave to sin. But now we're, you know, slaves to righteousness. And we got to be, now we're called to be wives. Not, not a slave anymore. We get to have this intimate relationship with God. And that's what he's calling them back to. He says, you guys, I want you to call me husband again, not master what kind of restoration? Do you remember what Israel did to him? I mean, it just went through this, like just went off and, and to this harlotry, and this is what he's calling him back to? Really? I mean, there's almost a, you know, this case out there that if, if somebody cheats on somebody else in marriage, us Christians are like, boom, you have the key for divorce. They cheated on you. Get out of the relationship. It's okay. You know, and it's sad because it's like, it's, it's like yeah, get out of jail free card. <laughs> you know, and how some people treat it. God hates divorce, right? He doesn't say, I hate divorce, but it's, it, it, I like it if it's done this way. He says, but because you guys are guy, men, because I have to deal with men here, here's the way. I had an, a boss back a long time ago. His wife, you know, it was sad. There was an affair there. They got a divorce and everything. He fell in love with another woman. He was about to marry her, and God came to him and says, you need to go back to your wife marry her. Go back and restore that relationship. Totally not his fault. Not at all. Neat guy and everything. And I know that there's things that he could have probably done better, but she was the one that had the affair. And he went to church. I mean, he was just, it was cool to see his relationship with God build during that time. But then God asked him to go back to her. And she felt the lowest of low, of course, and just didn't know if she can be loved by this guy again. It is such a neat story of restoration because he did. He said it was the hardest thing he's ever had to do, of course, because he fell in love with this other woman, and he had to break that off and completely just, you know, break her heart too, but go back to what God had asked him to go back to, and that restoration. 
And there's so many times that we feel, yeah, yeah, get out of it. But God's like, no, I love restoration. I love restoration. Because love really gets to be shown in its purest form in that. Because it's not, you know, it's, it's unjust what's happened to the person that's been offended. And for them to pour out that love when they really don't have to, I mean, where's that coming from? It only can be coming from God. And so he loves to see that. And so when you get a C and he says, you get to call me husband again, not master. And then that word betrothed over in verse 19, it says, I will betroth you forever. Do you guys know what that word means? That word, when they use it back then, it's to woo a virgin. To woo a virgin, betrothed. So in our language now, that would be like flirting with the girl that you want to marry. Okay? It's like you're really trying to impress. You want to... You know, what most of us guys, I'm sure you guys still do the same way that when you first met your wife, you guys are right on top of it, right, with the, with the whole romance, yeah? Because we all hold strong to that after we get married. <laughs> so, <laughs> what are you laughing about? <laughs> Ask my wife, I'm awesome at it. <laughs> There's some fun things and some awesome things that us as men did when we were courting our wives, right? I, I mean, those of you, the guys that were outside of Christ and stuff might, might think and know, <laughs> But it was a fun time. It doesn't matter which side you were on. It was a fun time because you really wanted to be with this person. And so you'd do fun, crazy things. You would really pour out your heart. You'd come up with these ideas on how you could woo them. And it was like all this attention paid there, right? Just this, this awesome romance that would happen. And that's what he's talking. I will betroth you to me forever. Like desire. I want to chase after you forever. Like I want to have that, that romance that's there that doesn't grow dull. And this is what God's saying with the people. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Such a neat relationship that he wants to bring them back into. It's not one of those relationships of, I'm going to make you pay for all the stuff you've done bad. Like, we're okay. We'll have a relationship. But I'm going to make sure that you know what you've done is wrong. Right? I know some of uh, you guys and you girls out there do this to your spouse. Make them pay for how they've hurt you. It's not God. It's not godly at all. And this, is, this shows it right here because what he's bringing them back to is this loving kindness, like forgetting what's happened, like starting this whole relationship out anew, betrothing. That's what it's saying, like to woo a virgin, like completely going back to the first, first of it. And it's awesome how he does that with us and how he gives us the example of what we should be doing. And then it goes on, and you guys can check out, well, let's go over there real quick. Whew. I'm in trouble. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Focusing in on this word betrothed. Oh, if I can find it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Yes. Verse 2. And what it says. For I am, a jealous, I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chast virgin to Christ. And then it goes on to talk about, why well, I'm afraid that you've been deceived, you know. But just awesome to see that that's the language now, today, that he's betrothed us to Jesus Christ. He's wooed us, guys. Like that wooing that happens there, and it's so awesome. Not going back and focusing on what we've done against Jesus Christ, but him wooing us, like completely just clean slate. I just want to be with you guys. God's awesome, isn't he? 
Let's get the last little chapter done here. That last little part there, um, where I said that's reversal of the names, if you guys see that, you know they should answer Jezreel, so that's been done. Uh, so order for myself and the earth, and we'll have mercy on her. That pity that's restored, that compassion on her again. So no longer is it low. You take the low off the name. And then that next one, it says, you're going to be my people. Complete restoration. And if you notice, they didn't do anything. It just goes right into it. and shows it's by him. This is him. It's all about God. Now, chapter 3, and I'm sorry we don't have very much time to go over this chapter because this chapter is one of those chapters that's just powerful prophetically because of what it talks about with Israel. And it's been likened to Romans 11 and talking about how Israel has this future. And it's so short. Five verses, I think it's something like 98 words, but it's so powerful. It's like this little, this tiny little thing that packs a punch. So let's read through it. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. Okay. Just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel. For look to other gods, or who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. Just saying, oatmeal and raisin cookies, condemned. Okay? Right here. You heard it first in the Bible. <laughs> Raisins should not be in cookies. That's what it says there. <laughs> I know. You guys are like, yeah, I know. There's people out there that love it. Sorry, I tried to do it. Verse 2, so I brought her from, I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half omers of barley. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So... Two, I will I be towards you. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sac- sacred pillar, sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. And so you look at this, and I was just joking about the raisin cakes. But what was going on in the raisin cakes, they were like one of these special things that they would use in some of the, the worship to Baal and to some of the other gods. It was one of the main foods, and so that's why he's relating to that and talking about that food in a very pointed way. But he's talking about where they'd gone. You guys went off. You guys are certain, being the harlot with these other people. Now here's what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to buy you. I'm going to buy you back. And not only that, I'm going to buy you, and you know what? Your worth is so bad. I'm not getting a good deal on this. Because in Exodus uh, 21-32, the normal rate, going rate for a slave, was 30 shekels of silver. Interesting because you have Jesus later on, you know, the 30 with uh, Judas. Anyways, 30. So he's getting a good deal here because she's not worth it anything. I mean, it is like he, he, this is not a good deal. It isn't like he paid top dollar for this, this woman. It's a sad deal because it's the lowest of the low. Not only that, but Hey, you know what? 15 shekels, and I'll throw in some, some, some pig food, too. I mean, what it says there, this, this barley that was there, this was like cheap, cheap food for your animal. It was not anything good. So it's like, here you go. Please take her. <laughs> the awesome point that it's making there is that it was not saying, hey, you were top price in your sin. It was like, you're the lowest of the low. I was not getting any kind of deal out of this. However, I love you so much, I want you back and I'm going to buy you. I'm going to purchase you to come back out of that and have a relationship with me again. Now, speaking about Israel 
in the relationship he has, it says that no longer you're going to be with your lovers, nor are you going to be with me. And it's so interesting because where is Israel right now in their state? They're not in idolatry, are they? Not, I mean, now people would argue and say, well, yeah, because they're you know, serving self and stuff, but idolatry as it was in the, in the past. So they're not in idolatry, but neither are they in fellowship of worship and pleasing God too, right? They're not in that full relationship with their husband. And it's a sad place, and it's exactly what this says to here. It says, and I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You should not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be towards you. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, a prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. And so it's just saying, everything's taken away from you. You're just going to be in like in a place of, of just nothing. There, there's not anything going on. If you guys have been over, that's how it is. I mean, they play very religious. But if you watch it, and I asked some of them questions, like I was at David's tomb, and I got to talk to them about where they thought the, alt, the, the Ark of the Covenant was, and where the temple, and I had crazy ideas all over the board from these different rabbis that were talking. It, just, it, was, it was nuts. They just didn't have any focus at all. They were completely on their own thoughts and what they thought the best place was, and it was sad to see. You know, we got to speak to a lot of them when we were over there, and just they're exactly in the spot that it's talking about here in chapter 3. They're just in a nothingness. You know, they're not playing the harlot, but they're not with God either. And they're just waiting, and, but he has a promise there in verse 5, and it also talks about this over in Romans. And it makes it very clear there is a place for Israel. They're not completely knocked out. It says, Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And David their king would be who? The son of David, Jesus Christ, right? So that's what it's, it's talking about there. And they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. And that's just a promise that's going to happen, that there's going to be... And, you know, this remnant that's going to be there and these promises that God gives. And so just going over these scriptures, and, and this is just, you know, just going really quick into it. We're going to get a little bit more deeper into these scriptures as we go through the rest of these chapters um, in the next four, uh, three weeks. Go ahead and read ahead and, and find some of this stuff. It's some interesting things that God has just packed in his scriptures. And I think the thing we can take away from these first three chapters is really to look at our own lives and say, where am I at with him? And you guys know that's just a thing that always comes up. <laughs> is like God wants us to see. He wants to put a mirror in front of us and see where we are with him. Take action when we find out we're with him because you know what? Israel never took action. He put it right in front of them and said, here's what you are to me. This is what you look like. I don't care what kind of actions you're doing. Here's what's being portrayed to me. Make a change. Here's the promise. Here's the plans. Here's the love I have for you. This is what I want to give you. You know, I want you to have this bike that I haven't repaired in five years or whatever. <laughs> I want you to be able to play with it. <laughs> Don't be bad. <laughs> and just looking at it and saying, you know, am I in that place? Do I need to finally just give up that secret sin that I've been holding on to forever and keeping me from him and just be done with it and be so excited to be with him every single day, not twice a week or whatever it's come to in your life, but where is your heart? Where is that place that nobody else sees except for him? How are you being portrayed to him? Truly, don't lie to yourself because that's what he was doing over and over again. And then take action. Take action. Don't be like Israel because God has such awesome plans for us. He betrothed us, guys. He's called us his people. He's poured out his mercy on us. He's restored us. He's avenged us. I mean, what an awesome God. And what did we do to deserve that? <laughs> we didn't do anything. That's why he deserves all the glory, right? And Lord, we just want to praise you and thank you so much for what you've done in our lives. Um, 
you know, as we get into these scriptures and just really mull over what you've done, it's, it's one thing that just should put us right on our faces because we absolutely have no right to stand in front of you. But then I think about the verses where we get to call you husband again, you know, and just coming back to you and really having that, that awesome relationship that we do get to stand there and, and we get to hold your hand. We, we have this place that we absolutely do not deserve Lord, I ask you to continue just to grow us and to draw us closer to you so that we do truly know you when we get to be face-to-face with you. That it would be something that we've longed and missed and, and, and we know so very well. I just pray for everybody in this room that it would be such a serious thing to seek after you, that all the things that are distractions in our lives right now, Lord, that you would take them from us. And even if that hurts, Lord, that we can completely focus on you because this life is so short and we have eternity to look forward to you. So it would be a good thing to get to know you very well. So, Lord, do what you need to do. Um, expose whatever has to be exposed, Lord. That we could just come back to right relationship with you, that we would take your word seriously. That Not only that, but it seems like every time you've turned people back to you, there's a huge revival because we're so excited to see other people come to you and get to fall in love with you just like we've fallen in love with you. Lord, that we could go out and evangelize and just preach your name and give the gospel out like you've asked us to. Lord, these are the things that we want to do, but we know it only can happen through your power, through your desire, through your will, Lord. And so just help us to focus in on that and see what, exactly what it is, that we would maintain that communion with you, that we'd be side by side with you, and we'd know what your will is and know what you want us to do each single day, Lord. Lord, I just pray these things in your name. Amen.